And I want to talk about that for two weeks because all that Jesus did is all that I need. All that Jesus did on Calvary's cross is all that you need. That, that is it. If you get that, life is good. Our key text is taken from Colossians chapter 2 from verse 6 to 15. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, but as usual, I'm going to ask you to find that in your Bibles. We're going to stand and read together because there's some stuff in it that as we go through, I'm going to ask you to underline, to highlight, so you can go back and look at it. So let's stand and read together Colossians chapter 2 from verse 16 to 15. Colossians chapter 2, 16 to 15. Come on and just lift your Bibles up with me. As we begin, and declare with me that this is God's word, not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare... That my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, my ears are opened, and I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing as I read for you, and then we'll get back to what is supposed to be underlined. It says, and now... Just as you accept, accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. So if you're writing and taking instruction from the scripture, the first instruction would be continue to follow him. All right? Verse 7 says, let your roots grow down into him. That would be instruction number 2. It says, and let your lives be built on him. Instruction number three. And he says, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So now it's giving you the implication of the first three things. Two things will happen. All right. It goes on and he says, don't let anyone capture your empty. So it tells you what to do. What to allow, and then it tells you what not to allow. It says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. Who is the head over every ruler and authority. Alright. It says this. When you came to Christ. You were circumcised. Alright. Remember circumcision was the cutting off of the foreskin. When kids were very young. Right. But not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. The cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. 
And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sin and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the command of your word to continue in you and to grow our roots deep in you. We, God, we take that as your instructions to us this morning. We will not allow our minds to be captured by empty philosophies, but have our roots deep in you, our God. We humble ourselves before you today, Almighty God. This is your moment. Glorify yourself in our midst. Have your way, sweet Holy Spirit. Lead us and we will follow. Open our eyes to see your truth. Our ears to hear your voice. Our minds to understand your word. And our hearts to receive everything you have in store for us. Lord, may we be more than mere hearers of your word, but do us also. Cause strong conviction to fall upon us, your people, that will cause us to be radically changed into radical believers. This we thank you for in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. The truth is the devil has a plan. And his plan is to sabotage our future, our lives, and our hope. In fact, the devil wants us to be satisfied and content with mediocrity. The devil is okay as long as you're just right in the middle. You're kind of lukewarm, not doing and accomplishing much. He doesn't want us to dream radical dreams. To think revolutionary thoughts. To think of the impossibilities in life becoming possibilities. The devil doesn't want that. He wants us to forever be mediocre. He wants us to settle for less than what is best. That's part of his plan of sabotaging our future, our hope, and God's plan over our lives. The devil wants us to pursue prosperity. He wants us to pursue security. He wants us to pursue comfort. But he wants us to pursue these things without having any thought towards Christ being glorified in our lives. So nothing is wrong with pursuing prosperity. Nothing is wrong with pursuing security and comfort. But it must be done in the Lord. In other words, seek God first, his kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be added unto you. The devil wants us, however, to put, side a Christ, put Christ aside and pursue these things. He doesn't want God to be glorified in our pursuits. And he knows that if you get to these places without Christ, you become your own God. Amen? Amen? Listen, if man could heal himself, protect himself, provide for himself, get all the wealth he needs, save himself, what would his need be for Christ? 
So part of his plan, the devil that is, is to tell us that you can get all you want in this life by yourself. In other words, he wants you to become what he was trying to be, like God. That's what he tried, right? He thought he could be like God. In fact, he tried to do the same thing with Jesus. He was trying to get Jesus to be like God. While on earth. Jesus said, no man. And he didn't bow down to him. He didn't, he didn't tempt God by throwing himself off the hill. All of those temptations was temptation to get him to think and be and believe that he is God when he was in human form. And live out his God life instead of his human life. So what's the, what's the tactic that the devil uses to get our eyes off the radical, the revolutionary, and, and the seemingly impossible? It's like one word. The tactic he uses is this word called failure. The devil uses our own personal failures and the guilt that follows them. His plan is firstly to get us to fail in life. And when we fail in life, the guilt associated with that failure, he uses it against you. And so this morning we're going to look and see how we can stop that. How we can deter that. How we can push back the enemy and his plan. You see, Satan uses the guilt from our own failures to condemn us. He uses them to make us feel unworthy of the calling of God and our lives. He uses our failures to tear us down. And he uses our failures to add weight to our hearts. Eventually, eventually, we become so weighed down that we give up. He says to you, I mean, when you fail, he says to you, you are good for nothing. He says to you, listen, you think God could still use you after all of that? Right? He says, listen, you, listen you're not forgiven. God don't forgive you for that. That's what he uses the failure. So the failure you will see as we go along is not the issue. It is the guilt of the failure and the accusation that the accuser of the brethren brings to court against us. And let me just, let me just add this because I didn't get this in the first service. When the devil tries to bring you to court, bring your attorney. Because you can't defend yourself without your lawyer. You don't know the law good enough to beat the devil in court by yourself. He's our adversary, but we have an advocate. And his name is Jesus. Amen? So when he calls you to court and he brings the accusation, just say, um, Attorney, respond. And Jesus responds to him. The good news is that you are on the side of the judge. Because the judge is also your lawyer. It means that before you get to court, you win. If you take the right lawyer and go before the right judge. 
But that's what he does. He brings all of these accusations and tries to condemn and make us feel unworthy. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, you do something and you say, Lord, forgive me, but you still feel like dirt. You feel like, man, I can't come to church. I can't lift my hands. I can't even open the Bible. Why should I even read it? He says, don't bother read the Bible. We're a waste of time. You think God going to tell you nothing? You hypocrite, you. Don't even go in a church, but you're going to serve. Sit down in your seat does that and that begins to weigh down on you you see when the first weight is put on you sometimes you you try to push it off but then they keep piling it on and all of a sudden it gets so heavy you just make up your mind that it is better for me to stop because i'm not making any progress and then you realize oh my god the weight has pushed me all the way down And I get to the place where I've given up. We get to the place where we become lukewarm and carefree and towards the face. We don't have any desire. We lose our passion. We lose our zeal. We lose our zest towards the face. And we lose that towards ministry. We don't want to serve. We lose it towards fellowship. We don't want to be in church. We don't want to be around believers anymore. We lose it towards God. We don't want to spend time in prayer. Because of how the enemy makes us feel from our failures. Whether they are big or they are small. It is the reason why some Christians feel they have nothing to to offer to others. The reason why they don't serve. The reason why they don't take risks. The reason why they don't get baptized or go on a mission trip or become missionaries or lead someone to faith at school or the office or mentor a young believer. It is because the devil uses this thing called personal failure to bring us into condemnation and make us feel unworthy of the calling, tear us down and to weigh us down. The ultimate though is what one man called, he calls it the spiritual coach potato. He says, it is a life once lived as a passionate follower of Christ who now is a Christian by name only. Having experienced the excitement and the awe of knowing God on a personal level, they have forsaken that fellowship with the Almighty, their creator, for a lonely fellowship of self, a life of loneliness, self-serving apathy and lack of eternal purpose sure they still have salvation but barely to live 20 40 60 plus years as a spiritual coach uh, potato is no life at all they have no passion no excitement and life becomes a tragedy And many people are here today. See, if you're here today thinking that I'm talking about you, I want to assure you that I have no one in mind. So it's not you. But it's for someone. But one thing I'll do is to plead with you to accept the spirit prodding in your life. And to, and to consider what he has to say to you today. So, so don't listen to Pastor Omar really. But if God is speaking to you, hear his voice. 
and respond to God. So, the tragedy is not that we have sinned. Or that we have failed. For all have sinned and fallen short of the of God. A righteous man falls seven times. The Lord picks him up again. So it's not that the tragedy is not that we have sinned. As good as we are, chances are one day we are going to miss the mark someday. That's not the problem. Chances are if you live long enough in this world, you are going to fall. So that is not the issue. Because David fell. Samson fell. Peter fell. Paul fell. They all did. So the issue is not that. The tragedy is not that. The tragedy is that Satan has taken our failures in our relationships. Our failures in our spiritual disciplines. Our failures in our sexual integrity. And he's using them against us. He's using them and saying, you see, every relationship you get into, it mash up. Nobody don't want you. Says, so you see, I knew that you'd stop reading your Bible as long as the 21 day challenge, 22 days challenge was over. I knew that the moment the church stopped uh, meeting, you wouldn't. He begins to use these things. The devil, the enemy saying, you are a failure. You may as well not go to church. You might as well not read your Bible. You might as well not pray. You might as well. He says, no way you're going to make any serious commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. You might as well sit there, drink the world in until you're wasted, and settle for the mediocre life you deserve. That's what he says. But I want to assure you this morning... That it doesn't have to be that way. You can have victory through the cross of Jesus Christ. Because God didn't put you here on earth to see how good a failure you are. God placed you here on earth so you could become all the success that he purposed you to be. But this tragedy, this is a tragedy that doesn't have to happen. Come on, just say with me, it doesn't have to be this way. Come on, just, just turn to the person beside you and say, you don't have to be this way. Come on, just tell him, you can be better. And you can get better. How, how do I know this? Let me say that, Pastor, you're joking. You know how long I've been trying and it has not been working? Right, let me help you with scripture. So let's go back to our text in Colossians 2. And let's begin again at verse 6. For we see these words in it. And I want you to go back there in your Bible and look at it. It says, so then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, continue to live in him. Continue to live in him. How do I avoid this tragedy? 
continue to live in him. Verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And overflowing with thankfulness. Paul the apostle is instructing us as to how to avoid the tragedy of the enemy using condemnation to cause us to live defeated life. He says you can avoid it. Avoid the tragedy by growing your roots deep. That's step one. You have to grow your roots deep. Your roots have to go deep, deep, deep down in Christ. Because the deeper the roots are, the stronger the tree will be. Because it is the root that determines the strength and the lifespan of the tree. If you have poor root system, if your roots are not deep enough, anything and anyone can uproot you. It's like grass. You can easily pull grass out of the ground because it has a poor root system. I bet you never tried to do that with a well-grown mango tree. You have to cut it. And even when you cut it, it still springs back up. Because it, has, it is not sustained by the external. It is sustained by something that is deep and not seen. You don't see the root of the mango tree, but you know it's so strong that even if you cut off all the branches... It will spring back up. The tragedy is not a specific sin. The tragedy is our hopelessness. Fed on by this world and Satan. He comes on and makes us feel hopeless. This is a hopelessness though that we don't have to experience. You don't have to experience this hopelessness because there is hope in Christ Jesus. There is hope in the Lord. So I'm not denying the fact that we suffer depression at times. That we have times of great mourning. That we suffer tribulation and trial. But in these times we can hold fast to the one, to, to the one sure thing. The truth of God's word to us, which have lasted throughout the millennia. We can hold on to that. It's not that I don't have problems. It's not that I don't have issue. But on top of all of that, I have hope in the Lord. I know better days are coming. By and by. I know Jesus, God, will one day turn things around for my good. I know that they that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. I know that there is hope in the morning. There is hope, joy. It says, sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The Paul says, I'm struck down but not destroyed. There is hope. So it's not that there is no problems. Is that there is hope in the midst of our problems. Let me give you it in scripture. Proverbs 23. So when the, 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 the trials and the tribulation come. And all of that. When the root system is deep. I have this assurance in Proverbs. It says there is surely a future hope for you. And your hope will not be cut off. Listen there may be some pruning. But hope will not be cut off. Because hope is not what is on the outside. Hope is something that is eternal. It's 
deep rooted in Christ. For the believer, hope is not a word. Hope is a person. And that person is Jesus. So when the scripture speaks about hope, it is speaking about Jesus. Jesus will not be cut off. My confidence in him will never be cut off. No matter what. First Peter 1 verse 3 says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is a living hope. Who is the living hope? Jesus. So why, how do I know I always have hope? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And hope for me is not a word. Hope for me is a person, Jesus. And as long as he's alive, there is hope. As long as Jesus lives, there is hope. And as far as scripture teaches me, he lives forevermore. He lives forevermore. That means I have hope forevermore. My roots just need to be deep in hope. And that's why the world is hopeless. Satan is also hopeless. And Satan knows. Satan knows he has no roots. So there's a time coming when he will be blown away. Because he, no, he has no proper root system. He's not planted and rooted and grounded. Hallelujah. As believers in the living God, we have hope. But as verse 7 states, in Colossians 2, we must be rooted in this hope. You see, I like the way it says it in the Living Bible. It says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and on Christ the solid rock I stand. That's where my hope, my life is built on him. My life is not built on money. My life is not built on denomination. My life is built on Jesus. So when everything is gone, my life will still carry on because it's built on Jesus. He's built, it is built on the everlasting God. You see, this verse made me think of Psalm 1. You many of you know it. It says the God, the person is like a tree. Like a what? All right, listen, in, 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 in hermeneutics, that is biblical interpretation, they tell you, tell you about comparisons in scriptures. So watch this. this. This is one of those comparisons. And if you understand it, then you will you'll realize that what you need to be. Because in this, he's going to tell you, you're either going to be a tree or a shaft. It, it, the scripture is making comparisons. In, in someone like a tree what planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves does not what wither all right you remember that right this is awesome tell you what so what happens when drought comes it says the leaves will not wither if because listen listen what the scripture is saying that when you're rooted and grounded the living water, the streams of water is speaking to Christ. When you are rooted in him, you will survive the drought. Come on now. Come on. It, it didn't say there will be no drought. It says even in drought, because you are rooted in him, your leaves will not wither. 
That's what the scripture is really teaching us. That get rooted and anchored in Christ. That's how you have the victory in the drought periods of life. The next verse of that psalm compares the solid tree with the shaft of grain which gets blown away by the wind. If you are rooted deep, you won't get blown down when the storms, with the storms of this life. It means that, listen, because I'm rooted in him, storms are going to come, but I won't be blown down. I won't be blown away, but the shaft will be. Those things and those persons who are not deeply rooted in Christ will be affected severely. That means that Satan will come and blow like the big bad wolf, and he will huff, and he will puff and try his hardest to blow your tree down. But if you have your roots growing deep into Christ, then you will not be blown down. Come on, tell the person beside you, get rooted in Christ. See, the windstorm may hurt you. They may cause you to get some scrapes and bruises and aches. But in the end, you'll still be standing tall. Listen, in the storm, I won't fall because I'm rooted. I may, I may lose some leaves, but I'll still be a tree at the end of the storm. Because I'm rooted in Christ. You may be saying, well, boy, that sounds good enough, Pastor. I'd love to get rooted in Christ. So how do you get rooted in Christ? It's not hard. You know, you don't need Einstein to figure this out. It's simple. It's one, two, three. It's A, B, C. A child in kindergarten can know this. The way to get rooted in Christ is that you become a disciple. You study and follow God's word. You hear it and you do it. Come on, say with me. Hear it and do it. Say, know it and do it. Say, to know it is to do it. And I will do it when I know it. That's what being a disciple is. You know, discipleship is not coffee. It is fever grass. You have to dry it. It's not instant coffee that you just boil the water... No, it is, it is fever grass or serosy. You have to, you have to let it boil. The people in, 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 in older persons say you have to draw the serosy. And what that means, you don't draw it out of the ground, but you put it in the pot and make it boil. Yes, that's how you draw serosy. Discipleship, discipleship is not instant coffee. It is drawing serosy. It takes time. It takes process. That's why Jesus says, listen, the disciples had to be discipled before they could do discipleship. So Jesus said to them, the Bible, I know the Bible says, and Jesus called the disciples. He called them into discipleship and he made them into disciples. So they didn't start doing the work. When? When did they start doing it? When Jesus ascended. He says, go and wait where? And they have to wait a little longer in Jerusalem to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what they were training to do with Jesus for three years. It took them three years. 
of training with Jesus to do ministry. Right? In other words, if you want to get rooted, you have to get discipled. That's not a word, but you, you know, it kind of right. You can't get rooted without being discipled. And sometimes to become a disciple takes, and sometimes to become a disciple, um, a disciple takes relationship with believers who is mature in the faith. So if you are going to be a disciple, you need a believer who is going to be mature in the faith. That is why Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you what? I will make you disciples. So this is why when you look at Church on the Rock, we have something that says, make disciples. Making disciples who? Make disciples. There you go. Making disciples who make disciples. Going to all the world and make what? Disciples of all men. In other words, you need somebody mature. So let me ask you a simple question that all of us need to be honest and answer. Who is discipling you? Here's what I'm going to say to you. Every strong believer you meet, if you ask them, they will tell you, at some point in their life, they had somebody who was discipling them. Teaching them the word. Somebody who they could call. Who would explain scripture to them. Somebody who would help them with Bible study. All of us need that. Alright. Somebody who is mature in the faith. Who is going to say come for me. You ask this person to teach you the basics of the faith. How to study and apply God's word to your life. In the various situations in which you find yourself. Rooted in hope. We have an escape from the guilt which the enemy throws at us. So discipleship is the process which feeds our roots so that they can grow deep into Christ. You have to be discipled. So listen, one of the things I want to do for you if, you, if you don't have somebody like that, listen, and somebody who is at your same level can't disciple you. But disciples need friends. Because James needed John you understand me? Peter needed all, they needed each other, but they had have a Jesus. Amen. You need those friends, you know. But your friends are at the same level as you. Going through the same stuff. You need someone who is ahead of you to help you along the way. To find so find some mature believers in the faith. I never say old people, you know, because not everybody who old can disciple you. Because themselves need to get rooted. Do you know that some old people got saved? In the Bible, they were older than disciples and they had to be discipled by the disciples. So not, when I say mature, I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about mature in the faith. Amen? Amen. So make sure you can do what they are doing with their lives. Because the good thing is that the, the disciples could do what they saw Jesus doing. If you can't practice the things you see the person practicing, then they can't disciple you. Make sense? Alright. Alright. Back, back to your notes. Right? Avoid the tragedy by rejecting the world's access to your walk. Being, 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 being rooted deeply in Christ 
we are also to reject the food which is not good for our roots. Right? If you want your roots to grow stronger, you have to feed it with the right food. You need the right food for your roots. Are your roots going to get damaged? Being, right? Verse, verse 8 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition. Alright? We're going to break that down. The word captive refers to a kidnapping. The world wants to kidnap your mind and your heart. Um, if, if, if you know when a person is being when a person has been kidnapped, they are no longer in control. The, the kidnapper has power over the kidnapped. Amen? So what the scripture is saying, when it says captive, because if you're a captive of someone, it means that they control you. It says, listen, don't allow anyone to control your mind and your faith with some hollow and a deceptive philosophy. That is based on human tradition. Making sense, right? It means that don't... It it wants to feed you deception. And the deception is that a lot of times there are things that seem pleasing and even seems good. But they are human tradition... That are created to capture your mind. To have you deceived. Because as long as you are deceived. You cannot live the victorious life. So the enemy tries to deceive you. Remember uh, uh, in last year I said what is deception? Deception is not like a lot of lies. Deception is 99% truth. And 1% lie. Because Jesus is not relative truth. Jesus is absolute truth. And anything that is not absolute truth is deceptive. Amen? So let's break it down. The devil knows that if he brings an unattractive, mentally unstable, drunkard, high on drugs, Smelling bad man to you, as a female, you're going to reject him right away. You're going to just say, move Satan, move me past kind of a thing. You understand me? Talking to the ladies. So what he does, he presents someone who is sane, who don't do drugs, don't do alcohol, is wanted by many others, who is very attractive, could fit on the Sports Illustrated magazine, Six pack working and six figures loaded. You understand me? And when that devil comes to you, you don't say move Satan, move let me pass. You say, Come, 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 let me test. That's how deception works. So what the enemy does is puts he puts a lot of truth in it. But enough lie in it to capture you. That is why David did what he did. Because Bathsheba was attractive. That is why the scripture said the fruit was good for the eyes. 
That is why Delilah did what had such power over Samson. Why? Because the enemy knows the way to deceive us is to present truth mixed with lies. Make the thing look good. Let me give you some examples of some of these deceptions. Have you ever heard people say, for example, all religions are true and that and all points to the same God? That's a lie. All religions are not true. And all don't point to the same God because there is one God. And one religion. And that religion is based on relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. One mediator, one God. Listen, listen. But what about this man? What about that man? Listen, here's what. I don't know what going to that man. I don't know what going to that woman. But what I know, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One mediator between man and God. And that is Christ Jesus. There's one way. Not two. One way. One way and one way only. So if you don't come down to that, it is deception. Hear this. Remember, I didn't say denomination. Because you can have different denominations. But all denominations must point to the one God. Or have you ever heard people say, God wants you to be rich so that you can give more? And many people believe that, you know, yeah man, God wants you to be rich, you know. Because the richer you are, is the kinder you will be. You know that that is deception. So people start run down what? Riches and forget about righteousness. Well, what about this one? Our God doesn't want you to suffer. And if you are sick or depressed or not prospering, then it must, you must not have enough faith. You know why you're sick, man? You don't have no faith in a God, man. Because if you did believe God, you wouldn't get sick. You ever see Jesus get sick yet? <laughs> Jesus never gets sick. So if you get sick, you don't have faith in a God. Have faith in God and you never get sick. Have faith in God and, and people believe that. People believe somehow, if I have enough faith, I will not go through hardship. Life from the pit of hell. We understand. The scripture didn't say, it, it doesn't say all philosophy. It says deceptive philo- philosophy. So according to this passage, philosophy is deceptive if it is rooted in human thinking. You see, there are good philosophies out there, but they are only good for nurturing if they line up with the word of God. So let me say it again. Philosophies or teachings or ideas are only good if they do not conflict with the word of God. If they go against the word of God, do not pay attention to them. Amen? So how do I know if they line up to the word of God or not? Very simple. You want to know? When you hear it, do some research. Get your Bible. Get into the word yourself. Ask God to guide your study. Ask a mature believer for help. You want to know? Alright, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about it? Let the Bible be a reference point. If it, is, if it doesn't align with the word of God, it can't be right. So get good food. Reject the world's teaching. Get the food that sustains. 
the food that's living, that is the word of God. Listen, the worst thing that can happen to you if you're eating unhealthy stuff. If you eat unhealthy stuff, you're going to be unhealthy. So part of life is to, you have to eat, and especially in the, these days, people are saying that you need to what? Eat what? Unhealthy food. Because not all good food healthy, you know. Because burger is good, you know. Don't, don't, don't ramp with KFC. I mean, that KFC is me, you know. You're passing KFC and similar chicken when it fry really good. That's, that's some good stuff right there. But it, it's, it's unhealthy. So don't fool yourself. Chicken is good, you know. Rice and peas is ch- and chicken is good, you know. But it's not healthy. I mean, to have your dumpling floating in oil in your and saltfish, you know, man. That nice, you know. And your gravy good. I, I'm telling you. Easter bun is good, you know. Yes, I know some of you probably buy six already. But you understand me? <laughs> Stuff. But, but is it healthy? No. So that's the thing. Not because something is good means that it is healthy. Look out for deception. Christ stated it. Christ says, come to me. All were thirsty. And what did he say I'll give you? Springs of living water. So my question is, are, you, are your roots drinking up living water or dead water? Are they digging into that spring that will never dry up? Or are they digging into the teachings of the world that will eventually fade away? So reject the world's access to our walk in Christ. As we close, avoid the tragedy by rejecting the devil. So we said the world first, the devil's access to your walk. I know you have talked, but it's okay. You can put walk, talk at the end right here. Avoid the tragedy by rejecting the devil's access to your walk. So you, you reject the world's access, you reject the devil's access. So the water, whatever the world offers, will fade away. And you know what else will fade away? You know what? You know what else is not eternal? The devil. Yes, the lies you keep hearing and sometimes give into, they are coming from someone who knows that his time is limited. The devil knows that his time is limited. His time is running out. And he's creating as much problem as he possibly can before his time runs, runs out. And if, if, listen, Revelation 20 verse 10 says this, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur where he will be tormented day and night forever. He kno- and ever. He knows that his time is running out. So he's trying to get as many of us to live a defeated life. Though Christ has promised us the victory through the cross. See, we go back to Colossians. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. The basic principles here refers to the spiritual powers. Say, we read in the New Living, it doesn't say basic principles, it says spiritual powers. So what it is, it's talking about the prince of this world who is the devil, 
who is known as the great deceiver. He's so deceptive that 1 Corinthians 11.14 says that he masquerades as an angel of light. Alright, you know what masquerade is? Masquerade is to pretend that you're to be something that you're not. So what the devil does, he pretends to be light when he's full of darkness as a way of deceiving you and deceiving me. And then once he gets us to fail, he uses our failures against us. Come on, lift your hand and say, not me, devil. Many of you, you might have read the Pilgrim's Progress. If not, I would, I would, I would, I would encourage you to read it. it. In this great allegorical tale of a believer on the journey of faith toward heaven, the believer character Christian comes face to face with the great deceiver himself. Um, in the book, he's called Apollyon. I, I love this encounter because the author John Bunyan capture the essence of this so well. So I've done a little paraphrase and um, we, we're going to have it go out and why don't you just listen and then we will close. Alright, so Christian finds himself face to face with the demon Apollyon. He begins to be afraid and almost turns back. But he's resolved to stand his ground. The monster was hideous to behold. Where are you from? I'm from the city of destruction. Then you are one of my subjects because I am the prince and god of that country. No, not anymore. Serving you brought me nothing but misery. And your wages are death. Hmm. Go home and I'll see what can be done to improve things. (laughs) Oh no. I promise to serve a great prince. The best prince of all. Then you'll come to grief. All his servants do. It looks that way sometimes. But it isn't so. For in the end, all his subjects share in his glory. Do you really think he'll welcome you? You who try to explain your failures away. You who are lazy and doesn't read the word. You who almost ran at the very sight of danger. You who's out out for your own glory. You're right about all that. And there are other things you could have mentioned. But I sought forgiveness. And the prince has forgiven me. I hate your prince and all his subjects. And I have come to fight you. Then you better watch out. For I am on the king's highway. And the way of holiness. Amen. This story in the Pilgrim's Progress was written in the 1600s. It still rings true today. Because the deceiver is still delivering his lies. His attacks, he attacks our failures and tells us that we are unworthy. Says that God won't forgive you. God couldn't love someone like you. I mean, you keep doing this over and over. He says you're a failure. You are no good. 
you know, don't go to church. Don't waste your time reading the Bible. Don't get involved in ministry. Just sit down on warm benches and chairs. So you have heard the phrase, you're good for nothing. That's what the devil is saying to you. He doesn't want you to think that you are worthy of doing anything worthwhile for Christ. But what does the word of God say? It doesn't say you're good for nothing. It says you're good for something. You are good for something. So don't let the devil feed your roots with his bad food. Because the stronger your roots are in the word, the stronger your roots are in Christ, the stronger you will stand against the devil's lie. The only way to defeat the devil is to stand strong in Christ. To continue in him and to be deeply rooted in him. You see, we are not fighting flesh and blood. Ephesians tells us that we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits. In the heavenly places. We are at war. And sometimes the battle is thicker than other times. But we are constantly at war. Don't be deceived. You can do it. You can fight him. As valiant. As Christian. Fought of Apollyon. In the, the little depiction that you just saw from the book. So reject the devil's access to your walk. I'm going to invite the worship team to come as we close this morning. And there's a song that we have done. It's called Amazing Love. How could this be that you, my king, would die for me? It starts out by saying, I'm forgiven because you are forsaken. I am accepted. You are condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again. But before we get there, Colossians or a text, in the message translation, I'm going to ask them to put it up because I want you to see this. This is verse 14 and 15 from the message Bible. It says, think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant cancelled and nailed to Christ's cross. It says, He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the street. That's the victory we have. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant cancelled and nailed to Christ's cross. You are forgiven. And you can live the victorious life. The question is, do you believe that this morning? Christ triumphed over all. And because of the cross, we have no reason to believe Satan's lie. So fight the good fight of faith. Win the race. Paul's word to Timothy are still true today. You can do it. The cross of Jesus beckons us 
unwarranted. C.S. Lewis said, You can't avoid hearing the devil's voice because it will be there like a constant, annoying, buzzing sound. But you can ignore it and believe in the supremacy of Christ that trumps the devil's power and the world's empty philosophies. That same power that nailed your sin to the cross forever and ever. So dig your roots deep. Reject the world's access to your walk. Reject the devil's access to your walk. We are forgiven. You don't have to live a defeated life. Victory is ours in Jesus' name. Christ created you for better than this. The victory is ours through the Christ, through the cross. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close. I want to pray for you. I want us to spend a little time worshiping and singing this song. Declaring that we are forgiven. Singing about his amazing love. Believing by faith this morning. Come on, just lift your hands with me. And begin to thank him right now. Just open your mouth and say, I thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Just say that I am forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Come on, with your hands lifted, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. And I'm alive and well. Your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again.
morning. Just say, in the name of Jesus, I cancel every lie the devil has spoken in my life. In the name of Jesus, I cancel their effects and side effects. In the name of Jesus, I shut every gate to my life from every form of deception. In the name of Jesus, I make a conscious decision of my will to continue in Christ. To grow my roots deep in Christ. To strengthen my faith. And be thankful always. Come on, just say, in the name of Jesus. I declare right now that I will live the victorious life that God has prepared for me. Come on, just thank you, man. Lord, I thank you that I am forgiven. I want to I didn't feel an unction to share this in the first service right there are a couple of things you need to do right for those of you who are watching online if you don't have someone who disciples you because here's how God works every time God speaks a word he expects action and so here's what some of you need to do right you need to be discipled So you need to find a person who is ahead of you in the faith. Like-minded person. Who you will submit yourself to. To learn the word of God. Then you also need to get connected into serving in church. Listen, I'll tell you why that is important. Every person in this church that has grown in faith, including me grew through serving in ministry. The only ministry in this church that I have not served on is praise and worship. I've done baptism, media, drum. Well, I've not done dance either. Um, For reasons I figure you can figure out, right? (laughs) But I've served in every ministry. And the more I have served is the more I have grown. You're at a place in your faith that you need ministry to help you grow. Because when you give service, God services you. And the reason why you haven't been getting a lot is because you haven't been given a lot 
out of what God has already given you. So you need to be discipling someone. You need to get involved in ministry. And someone needs to be discipling you. And it's going to take humility because you're going to have to be broken and say, Listen, I know I need to live the victorious life. You're going to have to approach somebody. You know, you, you know, and maybe you have somebody discipling you and you need to be like the brother who said, Come. The scripture oftentimes said the disciples, and he called his brother. And he called his brother. Which brother are you calling to say, Come on, man, we need to get discipled? So I pray in the name of Jesus that you'll be obedient to the word. We have prayed. And it's easier to pray than it is to obey. So I hope that you will obey that which you have prayed about. Listen, God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the day. Have a wonderful rest of the week. We meet on Tuesday for House of Prayer. Come and be a part of it. Amen? Come on, clap your hands for Jesus. Come on, he, he deserves a whole lot better than that. Come on, shout hallelujah. Come on, shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. God bless you.